Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Martin Shecker joins us, head of all of our content and, of course, uh, uh, running all of our Washington operation uh, for years. And Nick Wadhams joins us in Washington in the blur of the day. Nick, I want to drill right down to task one, which is Mike Pompeo. Is he going to be different than Rex Tillerson in getting us to an operational, functional State Department? Or will the president block that effort? I mean, uh, you know, I think he his foreign policy views are generally much more in line with uh, President Trump, so um, much more hard line. I think uh, Secretary Tillerson did have uh, a foreign policy outlook that was much more uh, conventional and sort of in line with what we would have thought of a more Republican, uh, moderate Republican administration in the past. Uh, that had led to a sort of war uh, between Secretary Tillerson and the White House, where uh, there was there was a lot of sparring over nominees for posts. That was one of the big reasons why uh, these slots were not getting filled. He was objecting to some of uh, President Trump's uh, nominees for posts. Uh, the Trump White House was objecting to his positions. Uh, so you yeah. really had this sort of deadlock over these nominees. Well, just 35 days ago, or excuse me, 45 days ago, Thomas Shannon left the State Department as Undersecretary of State for Political uh, Affairs. That's just one example of people leaving the door. When does the hemorrhaging stop, Nick? Well, I, I don't think this is something that is going to end uh, with Mike Pompeo. If anything, it will only hasten it. Um, uh, there is a lot of criticism of Rex Tillerson, but uh, actually when you look at his foreign policy prescriptions, they were fairly standard and in line with past administrations. If anything, Mike Pompeo... Uh, will be even uh, more uh, for, harder to the right, and and will alienate uh, this building even more. Those those these these people tend to be sort of uh, cautious and careful, um, and orthodox in their prescriptions. So when you put in someone like Mike Pompeo, uh, they're going to have an allergic reaction to him. Marty Schenker, I want you to come in on this and tell us your thoughts. But specifically, does this have anything to do with the ongoing or non-ongoing relationship that the United States has with Russia? I note that uh, Rex Tillerson yesterday was quoted as saying that uh, the United States has tried to work more diligently and more carefully with the Russians on a variety of issues, but said that the Russians uh, have taken it upon themselves to, as he says, pivot uh, in a more hardline direction. You know, to me, that's one of the more fascinating things, and Nick can chime in on this, is just what Mike Pompeo thinks about the Russian interference in the 2016 election. The CIA has a central role in looking at that issue. Um, Does his political alignment with Donald Trump preclude him from being outspoken about the Russians meddling in the election? Or does he speak the truth to the president? Uh, That will be something that will be fascinating, and it will come out in his confirmation hearing. Um, I would suspect he would get confirmed, but there are going to be some hard questions asked at that uh, at that hearing when it ha- when it happens. Marty, are there hard questions to be asked about the actual role of the State Department, no matter who is in charge? Because I mean, there has been money allocated for the State Department that is yet to be spent. There are a variety of ambassadorial posts that have been vacant and have not received any specific appointments. Is there a, a, a philosophical issue about how the president views the State Department and its use for foreign policy? Well, traditionally, State Departments have been really run out of the White House. I mean, the, the, 
it's the president of the United States who sets policy and directs the, st uh, the state uh, head of state to actually execute it. One of those things that Rex t Tillerson did, which was very controversial, is a strict uh, adherence to budget restraints. And a lot of the lack of people in those posts mm -hmm. was a philosophical issue that we didn't need right. them. Now the question is, does Mike Pompeo take the same approach? And then Nick Adams, for example, to your coverage of former Secretary of State Tillerson in Chad the other day, how alone is he out there compared to Secretary Kerry traveling three and four and five years ago? Well, I mean, this is fascinating. We literally just ended that trip to Africa about four hours ago. We got back at about 5 a.m. Uh, from Nigeria. And on the plane with us, he did, a, a, when he obviously knew what was going on, he didn't give any indication of it uh, to us at the time. But he did have this very rare moment where he spoke with us on the record in the back of the plane, which he had not traditionally done. Uh, very harsh words uh, for Russia, uh, which was in dissonance with, with the administration. Uh, a lot of confidence. He said he was very confident in himself and his own abilities um, when we asked him about the possibility of, of negotiations with Kim Jong-un. And then you see this over and over, this dissonance with right. the administration in Chad. He said uh, Chadians are welcome in the United States when well, the, it was the administration that had imposed this travel ban. Nick so, Wadhams, so this goes to actual reporting, then. He's in the back of the plane coming back from Nigeria. Would you suggest that the, sec the former Secretary of State, in his interview with you and other reporters, on that airplane supported the president's efforts with Mr. Kim in North Korea? Yes, uh, there's there's no question that he did, but he was clearly blindsided by the president's decision to accept the meeting uh, with Kim Jong-un uh, on, on spur of the moment. I mean, this goes against everything Rex Tillerson believes in, which is deliberation, process, doing things right, making sure you have all the bases covered before you go into a meeting. Uh, so he was not surprised by the president's decision to meet with Kim Jong-un. He was very surprised by the president's <clears throat> decision to say, yes, let's just do this meeting uh, quickly uh, without the proper preparation. If you're just joining us worldwide, Pim Fox and Tom Keene with our foreign policy reporter, State Department reporter Nick Wadhams, and Martin Schenker with us. Of course, we're running all of our Washington shop and now head of all of content for Bloomberg News. Marty, a question for Mr. Wadhams just off the plane. Yeah, Nick, uh, it, what's interesting to me is that you're convinced that uh, Rex Tillerson absolutely knew what was going on. Uh, uh, what makes you think that that's so? I mean, this president well, sometimes keeps his own counsel, even on things like this. Uh, two reasons. One, on the plane, he, he, he cut this trip short by a day, which struck us as extremely odd. You're on a five-nation trip right. to Africa. Why come home only one day early if you're going to cut it short? You know, why... He also had, he was ill at one point in Nairobi, so he spent the entire day off. That struck us as odd. He basically had no appointments on, on that one day. Um, he also said that he got a call on Friday morning. He had gotten a call on Thursday about North Korea. That kept him up all night. Then he said, I got another call on Friday. And I asked him specifically, what was that call about? And he said, I can't tell you about that yet. But, so but, clearly there was a lot going on. But this is critical, Nick Wadhams. Have you seen a change behavior in the former Secretary of State over the last week or so on this trip to Africa? Well, uh, interestingly, the change in behavior, I think, was the fact that he was more willing to speak to us. Generally, he's been quite cautious, um, uh, not very outspoken. He would rarely do on-the-record uh, interviews with us in the back of the plane. This time uh, he did, and he was very forthright, uh, particularly in his condemnation of Russia. Um, and then, you know, just looking back and piecing some of these things together, it is interesting that 
he obviously canceled. He cut the trip short, which struck us all as odd. He had this day where he didn't emerge from his hotel room. They said he was ill, which, you know, obviously in Africa is entirely possible. But when you look back and sort of connect the dots like that, it does seem that there was a level of sort of strain and chaos about uh, this trip. You know, there's also this fascinating moment where he basically took the entire afternoon off on Sunday to do a game drive with his staff uh, in Nairobi National Park, um, which, you know, for Secretary Kerry had done something similar uh, when he was when he was on the job. But uh, to do it for so many hours on, on a trip like that. Yeah, it's just interesting, you know, another sort of data point. Uh, Nick, just quickly, give you about 30 seconds here. Gina Haspel named to become the uh, head of the Central Intelligence Agency uh, as Mike Pompeo uh, looks to be the next Secretary of State. Tell us about the challenges that she faces. Well, I mean, again, you're going to have this issue of uh, of the intelligence community colliding against uh, the Trump administration. Mike Pompeo has been adamant that he has not shaded uh, intelligence at all to fit what President Trump wants. But there's a huge war going on over the exact role that Russia played, you know, obviously in the meddling of the U.S. elections and and the role it continues to play. Uh, She's going to be under a lot of pressure uh, Mm -hmm. from uh, both sides, the intelligence community and the administration, to get this right. Fascinating. Nick Wadhams, greatly appreciate your travels for Bloomberg News. And, uh, of of course, this reporting from the plane with Secretary Tillerson over the last few days. Mr. Wadhams is our foreign policy reporter in Washington. We thank Martin Schenker as well, particularly Marty pointing out the hearings that are to come with the new Secretary of State, uh, Mr. Pompeo. Wanted to bring you now a gentleman that we opened the year with, with his top risks of the year, Ian Bremer of Eurasia Group. Dr. Bremer, thank you for making time uh, with us today. Frankly, this instability within 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and the administration was one of your risks this year. We're not surprised, though, are we? Uh, no, and let's keep in mind that, you know, the initial firings, which, you know, are at an unprecedented level, uh, senior posts were at about something like uh, almost 40 percent, uh, double that we've seen any any modern-day administration uh, in the first year. But most of those that were forced out early were people that really were not competent to govern, uh, needed to be out, were problematic for a bunch of reasons. Most recently, the Gary Cohn and now Rex Tillerson removals uh, are actually very different. These are people that are clearly very competent, lots of experience, uh, maybe not the best fits for the administration for lots of reasons and certainly came with their own problems, but will make it harder to do it. Ian, do you just assume that Secretary of State Pompeo, if he's more aligned with President Trump, will have a State Department that is ever more empty than the one that Secretary of State Tillerson enjoyed? No, I wouldn't assume that. I mean, Tillerson was truly loathed by the diplomats. Uh, He kept his own counsel a a very small, uh, basically, uh, kitchen cabinet within state. Some people he brought over from his days at ExxonMobil. There was enormous, uh, you know, it had to do with more of his management style. And I suspect Pompeo uh, is not going to do much worse, might do a little better on that front, depends on the people around him, immediately around him. The issue is, the issue has much more to do with the actual policies. Tillerson has a lot of experience dealing 
with uh, difficult leaders all over the world. Um, he had been a moderating force and a fairly independent force right. on trade on trade with China, on North Korea negotiations, on the Iran deal, on Russia. Uh, Pompeo will be none of those things. He'll be ideological, hawkish, and much well, more willing to do whatever Trump wants. You're the bell there. Markets open up 130 points in the Dow 25305. We're with Ian Bremer. Ian, if I, I know Pim Fox wants to jump in here. If I can play off your new book, Us Versus Them, The Failure of Globalism, Us Versus Them, The Failure of Our Foreign Policy, what does Secretary of State Pompeo need to fix day one? Uh, he's not going to fix anything, day one. That's not why he's being brought in. Uh, I mean, you know, you now have a president that is saying he's going to meet with Kim Jong-un um, and wants to play nice if that works. But if he doesn't, he's prepared to go hard line. Pompeo, I think, doubles down on that message. You have an Iran deal. The Trump says he wants it better or he wants to break it by May. Pompeo doubles down on that. He creates a much more binary set of outcomes that either the U.S. gets it the way we want on all of these issues or you're going to see a considerably more hawkish policy. Um, I, and Trump might consider that fixed in the sense that it's more of what Trump wants, um, but it's much more dangerous world, it's, and it's more volatile for the market. Ian, uh, just a little bit more on Mike Pompeo. Graduated first in his class at West Point, uh, got his law degree at uh, Harvard, and was a uh, congressman from Kansas. He also uh, desires regime change in North Korea. What's his position going to be as the president prepares for his historic meeting with uh, Kim Jong-un of uh, North Korea? Well, again, I mean, I think if you're Pompeo in this environment, you know the reason you're being brought in is to tell Trump that you're right about everything. So it's much more like Lighthizer as U.S. trade representative. It's hearing what Trump wants and figuring out a way to deliver that message to others and get it back to the boss. So you're never going to see him uh, making statements on television which are not aligned with Trump. He'll be much more like Mnuchin in that regard. And on and because we're going to be talking a lot about North Korea going forward, he's going to be a hawk. He's going to be one saying uh, that if we don't see a path for denuclearization, uh, the military option is on the table. You never heard that from Tillerson. He's going to be one talking about maximum sanctions and pressure until we get something from Kim Jong-un. He, he, he makes it more likely that the North Koreans offer something substantive, but he also makes it more likely the talks break down or even never happen. What has been his role at the, at the Central Intelligence Agency? Has it changed under the direction of Mr. Pompeo? Uh, you know, I, I think that it's been pretty aggressive uh, in terms of uh, counterterrorism efforts, uh, certainly support uh, for an expanded U.S. presence internationally in places where we're dealing with bad actors. Um, you've seen that in American support for the Saudis on Yemen. Pompeo has played a significant role there. A lot of people say that's a war the Americans shouldn't be involved in. Uh, I think Pompeo's position is these are bad guys. They need to take military and intelligence efforts, everything we can. We need to hit them hard. Also, uh, Pompeo's replacement in CIA uh, was uh, in charge of one of the most important black sites the CIA operated 
um, you know, with uh, lots of enhanced interrogation techniques. Again, what you're seeing is a move towards a more hawkish, more assertive American foreign policy, but more unilateral as well. Well, in that context, uh, Mike Pompeo was in charge of the counterintelligence mission center, uh, I believe, right? This is uh, at the uh, CIA, and that's the department which began the investigation into possible links between uh, associates of Donald Trump and Russian officials. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, I think that what we're going to see on Russia is very interesting to watch uh, that Trump removed Tillerson. Uh, the last thing we heard from Tillerson were a couple of very strong statements uh, that the United States fully supported um, uh, Theresa May uh, in the belief that the Russians were behind these nerve agent attacks against British nationals and that the Americans uh, would support action against Russia. Um, Tillerson's also supported sanctions against Russia expanding. Uh, The White House has absolutely refused to mention the Russians explicitly. I think that Pompeo will no way take a hard line on Moscow unless we see a shift from Trump going forward. Um, that's, it's very clear we're going to see no daylight between these two. What can you tell us about his relationship with James Mattis, uh, Secretary of Defense, and specifically uh, the military's awareness of climate change as a, as a threat to U.S. security? That doesn't seem to be consistent with Mr. Pompeo's views. It's not, but having said that, Mattis's views have not been consistent with much of the Trump administration. And Mattis has been very good at not getting in the limelight, not making big statements that he's going to get criticized for, um, and uh, and and I, and I think that keeping his own counsel, uh, the uh, morale at the Pentagon, unlike the State Department under Tillerson, has been very high. Mattis, as one of the generals, is held in very high right. repute by. Both, uh, both Trump and the White House. I actually think everyone that talked about a suicide pact that Tillerson was gone, that Mattis was gone to, I think that was complete BS and speculation. I think right. in a week's time, Mattis is still there. Dr. Bremer, one more question, if we could, generous of your time uh, this morning. The president tilts in his recent comments, I don't know if you've seen him, Ian, uh, towards Iran. How will our relationship with Iran change, and does that provide for further Middle East instability? Well, there's been a lot of negotiations with Tillerson and with um, his uh, advisors uh, with the Europeans to try to find a way to um, uh, continue to ensure that the Iranians will not be able to develop nuclear capacity at the end of the 10-year period. In other words, kind of strengthen uh, in terms of the deal without breaking the deal. Um, I think that uh, Pompeo is going to be less interested um, in that path, is going to be more interest in trying to bring the Iranians back to the table to change or break the deal. Like with North Korea, it's a more digital and it's a more risky outcome. The new book, Us Versus Then, The Failure of Globalization. Ian Bremer with us uh, this morning. We're honored now, uh, Pim, to bring in George Friedman uh, with us. Really, really uh, uh, think this is a timely interview. Pim, why don't you bring in uh, Mr. Friedman with Geopolitical Futures on defense and how it links into this State Department Well, just let him go ahead and tell us what he thinks about this new appointment of Mike Pompeo as our U.S. Secretary of State. George Friedman, your thoughts? Not very important at all. Uh, First, this president switches people around. Secondly, a large number of presidents, most of them, are their own secretaries of state. Uh, Trump just made a decision, a uh, really radical decision, to go 
to North Korea to meet with uh, Kim on a major crisis. Uh, he obviously doesn't feel that Tillerson is prepared to take you know these kind of changes. Tillerson is a very conservative uh, player, and he wants somebody backing him who's going to be uh, more in tune with him. But I mean, in terms of foreign policy, I mean, Trump is very, very radical. I mean, any other president who said, "Look, I'm not going to go to war with North Korea. I'm going to talk to them," would be praised to high heaven. Uh, in this case, of course, everything he does is going to be condemned. But in general, he's had a very conservative foreign policy. Tillerson has backed it, but he loves shifting personnel around uh, for whatever reason. So in general, the Tillerson leaving doesn't mean a whole lot. Pompeo coming in doesn't mean a whole lot. Trump is running the show. If that's the case, if uh, President Trump is uh, running the show, why would Mike Pompeo want this job? Well, to be called Secretary of State means a lot. Uh, Pompeo seems to be closer to the president this week than the other. Uh, but there have been a lot of presidents who have been uh, who ignored the Secretary of State. When Henry Kissinger went to China to open China, William Rogers, who was Secretary of State, was never told that it was happening. Interesting. The reason was they didn't trust the State Department, not the leak. What, George Friedman, from where you sit with your defense abilities, what is the linkage of our State Department with our Defense Department? Is that overdone? Is it overrated? Or is there a real tangible working relationship between the two? Well, it depends on the level. There's lots of routine things going on that they work together on. They have different perspectives on the world, different missions, different jobs. But this president and other presidents before have felt that they could not trust the State Department to follow their policies. The State Department has a reputation, earned or not, that they have a view of the world. And whatever the president says, they're going to go and do it. And so in many administrations, the State Department has been cut out. They have been left with the routine things, but the major breakthroughs they haven't touched. Tillerson was told to cut the State Department. Uh, the budget has been cut. We'll see what happens with that. But, I mean, there's always been a tension between the Defense Department's view of the world, the State Department's view of the world, and the CIA's Department of the world view of the world. And good presidents have always allowed that to go on and, you know, tried to have a foreign policy that kind of combines the two at that level. So in this particular case, uh, this president doesn't trust the State Department. Uh, he clearly trusts the Defense Department. <laughs> he has a love-hate relationship with the CIA. The uh, the the most one of the more, book, more important books that you put out is uh, Flashpoints: The Emerging Crisis in Europe. What do you expect Mike Pompeo to contribute to the alleviation of any crisis in Europe? Well, the crisis in Europe is a European crisis. Uh, their failure to deal with the 2008 crisis has generated fragmentation among nations. Brexit being only the most visible. And within nations, the rise of nationalist movements. There's, the United States has not touched uh, the European situation by and large. There's nothing we can do, and uh, the Europeans wouldn't respond. So when we talk about the crisis in Europe, <clears throat> it is the crisis of the fact that the EU is failing, <clears throat> failing as an entity, and that it's kicked off a political crisis where even the Germans don't have a coherent government. So it's an internal process that really doesn't affect us. One of the things to remember about Trump, Please. oddly enough, he's pulled back from being responsible for the world. George Friedman, thank you so much for Geopolitical Futures. Greatly appreciate 
the time today on short uh, notice. With our economic data, Vincent Del Judice. Good morning, Tom. The Consumer Price Index, the CPI, February, both the headline and the core rising at a slower pace than the prior month, both up 0.2%. CPI and the core, month over month, February, up 0.2%. Year over year, we see a little bit of a pickup in the CPI, 2.2% versus 2.1%, but the all-important core year over year holding steady at 1.8%. I'm Vinny Dale. Judice, let's go back to New York. Vinny, thank you very much. The number bang in line, the market going nowhere. Treasuries unchanged, the US 10-year at 286, pretty much unchanged on the session. Euro dollar unchanged off the back of this as well at 123.52. We're up about a tenth of 1%. Now, we do start to climb a little bit higher on Euro dollar now by about two tenths of 1%. A very marginal reaction in the FX market, a weaker dollar story, and a very small reaction in the bond market with just a tiny bit coming into Treasuries. No drama here. Michael McKee, Bloomberg's very own, joining us in the studio in New York. No drama in the numbers, Mike. No, I'm uh, I'm straining here to find something exciting to talk about. Uh, we did see a small decline in energy prices. That probably has to do with seasonals. Energy prices did not rise uh, as much as uh, they usually do during the month. They're kind of flat uh, down uh, to a certain extent. Gasoline prices were so you get a one tenth rise. That's uh, certainly uh, shaves some off. But almost every category was up. Which is something that will, you know, uh, encourage the yeah. the inflation uh, hawks, but not up by much. I mean, and not changed significantly from January. But Michael McKee, if Mark Mobius, legendary investor, perchance was here, he would tell me, Tom, do what the CFAs do: run the smooth moving averages. Exponential or simple. I run simple moving averages, Mike. Mr. Mobius always runs exponential moving averages. The vector's going up, but we can't break out of the moving averages that we saw four years ago or longer ago, you know, pre-crisis. Almost. Well, this this was where's not the, the breakout? Where's the breakout? Where's the breakout? It's uh, on about the fifteenth of April. When we get <laughs> the CPI numbers for March, uh, is that a base effect issue or is that rising effect? effect it's, uh, rising well, inflation? it's a base effect issue, but what you're seeing here is inflation starting to rise across the board. A lot of things are mm-hmm. moving up in price, and we used to have a much more uh, stratified, you know, uh, diversified thing where if some things went up, some things yeah. went down. Most most are going up. They're just not going up by much. I mean, airline fares uh, rose by uh, six-tenths during the month. Um, the motor vehicle insurance last month was a big deal because it was up 1.3%. It was up 1.7% this time. So you're, you're still seeing a lot more stuff going up. We are going to hear a lot about Goldilocks in the days to come, Michael McKee, because this is fertile ground for for risk assets in the minds of a lot of people. Inflation, yes, things are moving higher, they're drifting higher, but it's so gradual and the pressures are so subdued that what you see in terms of reaction on the screen today, Tom, it's not in FX, it's not in the bond market. It's in the equity market. Equity futures really spiked off the back of that inflation print. It's the fear, the fear of inflation, Michael, is what's gripping investors. And I guess this report this morning says, at least for now, nothing to fear. Though, as you've pointed out, next month and the month after that could be quite critical in the next move. 
fear itself. Uh, Tom and I were talking about this on surveillance television this morning. Uh, the idea that um, the markets are really, really terrified of inflation out there, but it's going to be very gradual and it's not going to be the inflation no. of your past. Mike McKee, thank you so much. Much more on this in the coming weeks. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.